Hello? How is everyone today? Good? Great. It's nice to see you. Uh, if I've not met you before, my name's Josh, part of the church leadership team. If you're a visitor, it's great to have you amongst us. I hope you feel welcome. I hope you feel that you're part of the family. Uh, it's uh, good first. We're a, we're a church that loves community, loves family. Uh, so I hope you feel welcome if you're a visitor. Good. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series in Ruth. Today, if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can open them. We're actually going to be finishing our series in Ruth today. Okay, uh, so we're in chapter 4. Uh, you can find it uh, in your Bibles. Uh, while you get there, so far we've seen loads of different things in Ruth. I hope you agree with me, those that have been with us throughout the series, that it's been extremely beneficial, that it's amazing. It just, it's just amazing. Every time when we, when we go through a book... Uh, I'm like, oh, this is the best book in the Bible. This is definitely the best book. It was Nehemiah first, then it was Acts, then it was John. I think Ruth is the best book in the Bible now. It's like literally every time. But it's so good. We've seen, uh, first week we saw hope in suffering. Uh, We then looked at the hesed, love of God, this self-sacrificial, self-giving love that Ruth shows to Naomi and God has shown to us. We saw the hidden hand of God in everyday life, as we, as we step in to Boaz's field, we see the providence of God, that God directs our every step like he did uh, Ruth as he, she went into Boaz's field. We saw future hope. Jobin spoke to us about future hope, this hope in redemption. And remember, redemption, it means to save, to buy back. And he was talking about this future hope in one day rescue for for Ruth and Naomi. And then finally, uh, last week, Al gave us three points on how hope affects our everyday, our everyday life. And we finished last week with Boaz promising to redeem Ruth. And this word redemption, as I said, it means save, it means to buy back. This is the theme of the book of Ruth. Okay, so I've got my Bible with me today. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 20, uh, Naomi, when she first finds out about Boaz, she says this, He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added about Boaz, That man, Boaz, is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Okay, so redemption is really the theme of the book of Ruth. And so as we finished last week looking at, okay, well, what's going to happen? Boaz is promising, if possible, he is going to redeem Ruth. That's where we left the story. Is he or is he not going to be able to redeem Ruth? And so really, uh, the question that we are asking today is kind of, what's going to happen next? Will Ruth and subsequently Naomi be redeemed? And I think you'll agree with me that the book of Ruth, at least in the small groups that I've been part of both on Thursday night and Tuesday night, it, 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 we've talked about Ruth like being a writing masterpiece. The author has like shaped it just absolutely beautiful. And if you were going to write a story, it, it kind of has all the, different, uh, like all the different parts of a story that just make it amazing. So you've got courage, you've got love, you've got death, uh, you've got survival, there's redemption. So it's like all these different, like, yep, yeah, we'll check all these things off. Yep, it's a brilliant story. Good, it passes uh, the great story check. Um, and then today, how does every good story end? Does anyone know? 
a lovely happy ending. Thank you very much. Ends with a happy ending, and that's what we're going to find today. And today I've called today's message Beauty from Ashes. Beauty from Ashes. Now, I don't know how, how you feel about your life. I don't know how you feel about your marriage, if you're married, kids, if you have kids, your future. I don't know how you feel about your life, but if you're anything like me, your life is probably a bit messy. It's probably not exactly how you planned. In fact, I have just come back from Landvetter Airport after queuing for 42 hours for a passport. That was not exactly what I was expecting. Thank you, Kessler. Uh, <laughs> life is messy, and it's very rarely exactly how we planned. Sometimes we live with consequences of a decision we made when we were teenagers. I live with consequences of many decisions I made as a teenager. Like, you shouldn't have to live with consequences of decisions you make as a teenager because you're an idiot when you're a teenager. But you do. Perhaps some of us are living with consequences of, of things that have been done to us. And life is messy. Life is difficult. It is not a straight road from A to B. It is, it is like this. And what we see in the book of Ruth is that God works in the mess. That God is there in the difficulty. So if you've got your Bibles open to Ruth chapter 4, uh, we're going to start reading. And we're going to start with verse 1. It's a good place to start. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. And before we move on, again, what we see the author doing here is this, you know, oh, just, just, just as the guardian redeemer came, putting it out there, being, oh, it's another coincidence. This is the same thing that he did in chapter 2, and it's just been going throughout. In fact, Al spoke about it last week, time and time again time again in Ruth. Oh, it just so happened to be. It just so happened to be. What the author is doing, what they're saying, is it isn't it just so happened to be, but they're making us sit up. This is all about God. It's all about his provision. It's all about the providence of God. So again, God directs this other guardian redeemer right past where Boaz was. It's the hidden hand of God. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sad? Sad? Sit there. Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, gotcha, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. If you will not, Tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. Okay, so this other guardian redeemer, he is in front of Boaz in line, if you like. But then Boaz says, this is very like, much like I was standing in the line for the passports. But Boaz said, I am next in line. And the guy said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, 
because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Okay, so Boaz explains the problem. Someone needs to be redeemed. And it's this land and it's this person. And basically, the closer redeemer can't redeem it. Okay, so we read, verse 6, the guardian redeemer said, I cannot redeem it. Notice it's not, I don't want to. It's, I can't. And the commentators, there's different understandings for why this is. And it's not super clear. So it could be that the guy just doesn't have much money. And obviously buying land and then supporting Ruth and subsequently Naomi would just have been out of his reach. So it could be a financial reason. It could be a family reason. For some reason, he's got his own family and he doesn't want to bring in another family. And if, they have, if he has kids with Ruth, then they will belong to that side of the family. And it could just endanger the family in some way. Or it could be as simple as Ruth and Moabite. And remember, Moabites, who are they? They're the enemies of Judah, the enemies of Israel. So it can just be like, I don't want to marry a foreigner. So there's different reasons, but for whatever reason, he can't step in. I cannot. Verse 8. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Machlon. I've also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Machlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. So what do we have? Finally, redemption. Ruth is redeemed. Amazing. So Boaz, as, as the next closest kinsman redeemer, the other one said, I can't, so Boaz steps in, and he redeems Ruth. He saves Ruth, and he brings the land in as well, which leads to this really interesting, on the face of it, very positive reaction from the gathered crowds. If we look at verse 11 specifically, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. Now on the face of it, that sounds pretty good. And it is. So Rachel and Leah, together, they built up the family of Israel, we hear. The offspring of Perez was so numerous and we'll see in a, in a minute how, how his lineage, how his family is part of this story. It's part of King David's, which eventually is part of Jesus' family, family tree. So it, it sounds great. Big family, part of this amazing genealogy, building up Israel. But if we dig under the surface just a little bit, it reveals a profound truth. And the truth is this, that God brings order out of mess. 
that when things are messy, God's there. He brings beauty out of ashes. And in this story, the story of Ruth, what we've seen is that happening. We've seen the hidden hand of God at work. And again, Rachel and Leah, these stories are just amazing blessings, but are crazy messy. And so we're going to quickly go over both of them. Genesis, you don't need to go there. Genesis 27 to 29 tells the story of Rachel and Leah. Okay, and so basically Jacob leaves his home because he stitches up his brother and his brother wants to kill him. So his dad says, go to your uncle Laban. Laban. Apologies for the uh, different, uh, translate, different pronunciation of names. Laban. So he goes to Laban, his uncle, and immediately, as soon as he is there, he sees this beautiful woman, Rachel, one of his two daughters. And he says, I want to marry this beautiful woman. And Laban says, that's absolutely fine. You work for me for seven years, she's yours. So those, we read in Genesis 27, 29, those years go by, because he's so in love, they go by in just a few days. And the wedding night comes, Rachel enters the tent, and they wake up the next morning, they do what a married couple would do on their first night together. They wake up, go out of the tent, and it's not Rachel who he's been with, it's Leah. How that happened, I don't know. There was obviously no streetlights back in those days. But he has covenanted himself to Leah, not to Rachel. And so he goes and says to Laban, like, what have you done? And Laban says, well, would you like Rachel? He says, yeah, of course I would. Well, it's another seven years. And so again, he has to work another seven years before he finally gets to marry Rachel, the girl of his dreams, the one that he wanted to marry right from the beginning. And in this story, what we see is just is constant problems. Like, for example, waking up after your honeymoon night with the sister. That's a big problem, right? Constant mess. But out of these women, Rachel and Leah together, come the 12 tribes of Israel. Hope, beauty from ashes, beauty from a messy situation. And if we think that's messy, we should jump to Genesis 38, where we hear about Tamar and Perez. And for this one, it's a bit more crazy. So basically, Judah, who is one of the 12 sons of Jacob and Leah, so a little bit further on, he marries a Canaanite woman, and they have three sons, Er, Onan, and Shelah. Okay, so Sheila is a guy, Ur, Onan, and Sheila. Ur marries Tamar, and Ur, so this is the first son, is a wicked man, and God strikes him down. So Ur marries Tamar, and, and God is not impressed with Ur, and so God strikes Ur down. Omar, Oman, the second son, then marries Tamar. Okay, so it's leveret marriage. It's the same thing as what's happening here in Ruth. He steps into his brother's shoes and he marries the, the widow, widow. But, and apologies for being graphic, 
every time they have sex, he pulls out of her and his sperm goes on the floor so that they can't have kids. This is exactly what he shouldn't be doing. The whole point is to continue his brother's line and he is not trying to do that. And so what happens? God strikes Omen down. And so two sons down, Judah, the dad, catches on that all my sons are being killed because they're married to Tamar. Okay, this is a messy situation. And so what Judah says is he says, well, she let, she's too young. He's too young to marry you. And so go away for a little bit. And when my youngest son is old enough, I'll let you know and you can marry. Now, the years go by. And Tamar realizes, I've been stitched up here. Sheila's not coming to get me. So what she does is she dresses up as a prostitute. She puts on the clothes. She puts a veil over her face. She sits where, Ju- where she knows Judah will walk past, and she catches Judah's eye. He says, can we have sex? And she says, yes, but it'll cost you a goat. It's a going cost. And he says, I've not got a goat on me, but I can give you some pledges. So he gives her a signet, a ring, most likely, a staff, and a bit of ribbon. They have sex. They go on their way. A few months later, Judah, the dad, hears that Tamar is pregnant. Outrageous. My son's widow, my, son, my son's future wife as well, talking about Sheila. And so he goes to execute her. He goes to find her. This is not good. You're three months pregnant. And when he confronts her, she says, yeah, you're right. But the person who got me pregnant, these belong to. And she pulls out the signet ring, the staff, the ribbon, And Judah holds up his hands and he says, you're more righteous than me. Crazy, crazy, messy situation. What happens after that? One of the twins of Judah and Tamar has more offspring than anyone else. You can look at that in numbers. And so there's incredible blessing Incredible hope, incredible beauty from a crazy, messy situation. I mean, there's not many people whose kind of like situation is that messy, right? But what do we see? We see God working in the mess. We see people getting redeemed. Just crazy, crazy like stories, but God redeeming. Offspring that builds up the family of Israel, offspring that is in the lineage of King David, that is massively, massively numerous. So below the story, below the level, as, as we go under the story, we see mess, but incredible hope, incredible beauty. Let's continue reading. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, The Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. 
He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. Ruth starts messy. Chapter 1 is all about loss. There's famine. There's death. They leave their land. They go to Moab. It's in a time of the judges when the times are dark. It's messy. But Ruth ends with redemption. And so we see a baby born. We see instead of death, we see life. Instead of famine, we see money, um, food. Instead of poverty, we see money. Instead of danger, safety. Instead of bitterness, I went away, I came back bitter. Instead of bitterness, we see joy. All the wrongs end up being right. And this is the theme of Ruth, redemption. Everything that went wrong gets turned around as, as Boaz steps in and redeems Ruth. It's this beautiful, beautiful book. And it's the same as the story of Rachel and Leah and Tamar and Perez. All these wrongs get turned and redeemed as God works in the mess. As God works in the poor decisions. And this theme that we see in Ruth and these other stories that we've quickly looked at portrays a much bigger reality. That God... Through his providence, when life is messy, in the everyday, he redeems. He redeems. And he is writing his story, which finds its fulfillment in Jesus and his redemptive work. And so when Jesus begins his ministry, and we read in Luke chapter 4 these famous words from Isaiah 61 that say this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He is setting out his plan, this plan that's empowered by the Spirit, that's anointed by God to redeem to, for the poor, for the prisoners, for the blind, for the oppressed, for those in a, in a mess to be good news, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, good news to the poor. Because Jesus, as he comes, he, he comes in and he, he redeems the mess that we find ourselves in. And in fact, if you go on reading Isaiah 61, we read this. So this is literally what Jesus is quoting from. And he goes on to say, The day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. God comes in human form. He comes into our mess so that he may bring freedom to the prisoner, sight to the blind, beauty instead of ashes, uh, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. 
This is the good news of the gospel, and it is good news. Jesus, God, puts on flesh, and he comes into this world that is oh so messy. Why? To redeem it, to redeem our lives. Good news to the poor. This is the good news of the gospel. Now, it's important to pose the question as we get to this point. And, you know, Ruth, this book ends with this incredibly happy ending. So it's important to pose the question, kind of, does that mean that everything is going to go right in my life? All of my hopes will one day be fulfilled, as long as I kind of yeah, wait long enough. Well, let's read on from verse 17 to find out. The women living there said, Noam has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Remember the name Perez? Okay, so this is his family line. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Now, if you're anything like me, if you are going through a Bible reading plan, when you get to these genealogies, what you do is, oh, it's day off, perfect, on to the next, it's like semester. You kind of skip over them. But actually... Again, when we dig a little bit deeper, a little bit like we did with Rachel and Leah, there's incredible beauty because every one of these names tells a story. And so we can actually zoom really close into Boaz, the father of Obed, just, what is it, six, five, five words. And then we can kind of zoom into that and see this incredible story in the book of Ruth. Every one of these names tells a story. And the reality is, that the majority of the stories are messy. They don't all have these happy endings like Ruth has necessarily. There's all sorts of like scoundrel and, and sin. It, they're just, these people are broken. These people are messy. And it doesn't always end up how they would have expected it. So does Ruth teach us that eventually we will all get exactly what we want? No, it definitely doesn't. But what it does tell us is that one day, God will make everything right. He will wipe away every tear. That is the hope that we have, that one day we will be redeemed. And we're not talking about the good news about like a a, a practical, like an on-earth gain. We're talking about eternal gain as he makes everything right. Right. And so when Jesus entered the world, he entered this, this messy world. He entered a world that wasn't perfect. And he himself lived a life that was full of pain, that was full of suffering. So if we look at the book of Ruth and think, okay, well, things are going to end up great and like, you know, I just need to have more faith or something like that. Actually, what we see in the life of Jesus is a life of pain and a life of suffering. But he did that, eventually going to the cross, the ultimate form of suffering, dying on a cross. He did that for us so that he, would, he could 
redeem us, so that the foreigners, the Moabites, so that the poor, Ruth, so that the widows, Ruth and Naomi, could find family, could find life. That's why Jesus came, to rescue us. So there could be beauty instead of ashes. I love, I love hearing uh, Nina during worship. She always encourages me because every so often you'll hear her get excited and go whoop, whoop, whoop or something similar to that. Why is she doing that? Because she's excited, because she realizes what God has done for her, that she was in darkness, that she was dead, that she had no hope, that she was a foreigner, that she was poor, that she was a widow or whatever and God has redeemed her and, and, and clothed her with beauty instead of ashes. It's amazing news. And that just bubbles up inside of her and boop, comes out of her mouth. It's beautiful. This news, this redemption, is amazing. Jesus is amazing. As he comes into our mess, the messy world, to redeem us. And our happy ending perhaps will never come. That's just the reality of life on earth. It's not just like, okay, let's just wait until chapter four. At the moment, I'm in chapter one, but give it a couple of years, I'm going to be in chapter four. Actually, chapter four might never come in that way. Life is messy, and there's no simple answers to the mess that we have in our own lives. There's no simple answers to our challenges that we face. But when we zoom out, what we see is a God who, through his providence, ultimately makes good the mess, redeems the mess into something beautiful. And as I say, the way he does that is by stepping into our mess, by coming as Jesus. I wonder, is there anything in your story that you think is so messy that God can't forgive it, that God can't redeem it? Is there anything in your story that you think God can't touch that? Is there anything? I know for myself, my teenage years were very much outside of church. I made a lot of mistakes. Is there anything in your life that you think it's it's just too far? It's just too big a mistake. God can't forgive that hate, deceit, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger. Well, the reality is that these are just some of the characteristics of the family line that Jesus eventually gets born into. Timothy says this. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What a beautiful scripture that is. This, in fact, Emily finished praying like this, God can't lie. This saying is trustworthy, and it deserves full acceptance. Okay, you need to accept this. You need to hear this. You need to receive this today, that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. The healthy do not need a doctor. The sick do. And so it's okay to be sick. It's okay. It's okay to have things in our lives up until this point that we thought, you know what? 
God can't touch that. God can't redeem that. That's just too far. I want to suggest that Tamar and Perez and that story is far. But God redeems it. I want to suggest that Rachel and Leah is far, but God redeems it. I want to suggest that Ruth is all sorts of challenge. Things done to Ruth. Actually, this is a, this is a lady with incredible love. All, but all these things happen to her. Naomi, again, all these things happen to her. She doesn't really make any decisions. She just follows her husband. So it might be things that we've done. It might be things that have happened to us, but there's nothing too far for God to redeem. There's no mess, no sin too big for Jesus. And the story of Ruth demonstrates that as, as Boaz comes as a Christ-like figure. So what do we do with this? I want to suggest that we come to Jesus, that we come to the Redeemer, God who took on flesh, who came into our messy world so that we could be known, so that we could be accepted, so we could be loved. I've been, uh, over the last 40 hours or so, I've been uh, waiting for a passport in Lanvetter Airport. And there's this incredible system that has basically been developed by a, a dad who about three weeks ago was waiting in the queue and there was no order at all. And so he basically set up this incredible like, like plan where like, volunteers have taken on over the last three weeks. And it's just incredible. You sign up your name and you're in, basically. And I was just, I was just, just looking today at, as I was getting towards the end of the queue and I'd gone to get a coffee and I was walking in. And there's this uh, like fenced-off area and like, the people who are going to get a passport are in. And there's all these other people who are kind of like, outside of the area. And there's this person standing on the gate, literally checking, have, is your name there? You're welcomed in. And I thought that's so much like the reality that we as Christians live with. God has welcomed us in. We are not on the outside anymore. Our name is on the list. If you believe in Jesus this morning, your name is on the list. And he welcomes you in. He has redeemed you. And one day we will be fully redeemed. We will be, there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. It's just beautiful. It's a beautiful Reality, And so I want to suggest that we come to Jesus. If you believe in Jesus this morning, you're in. Come to him. If you don't believe in Jesus, if, if you wouldn't say this morning that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that you, that you follow him, I want to suggest this is a great opportunity to say that. Perhaps you've kind of gone away from Jesus. That was me in my teenage years. I went away from Jesus. And I made a decision, I'm going to come back to you, God. Perhaps that's you this morning. Perhaps it's time to come back. But whatever camp you fall in, come to Jesus. And what we saw last week, when Ruth goes to Boaz, the Christ-like figure, chapter 3, her mother-in-law kind of prepares her, put on the perfume, change the clothes, say the right thing, come at the right time. And what can happen is sometimes we, we think that's how you come to Jesus. That you have to put on the perfume, wear the right clothes, say the right thing, come at the right time when he's not too busy. Actually, Jesus says, forget the perfume, forget the best clothes, 
Forget the right moment. Just come as you are. Come as you are. This is exactly what Nina shared. I was out chasing Oscar somewhere over there. But I'm pretty sure this is exactly what Nina shared this morning. Come as you are. I've been preparing this while I've been in the queue. Nina didn't know I was going to share this, and she's sharing exactly the same thing. What does that mean? That means that God's speaking to us. And he's saying this, come as you are. Throw off. Like you don't, don't need to put anything on. Come as you are. You don't need to sort. There's, a, there's this lie of the enemy, which is I need to sort it out before I come to Jesus. I need to have a week or a day or whatever it is, a certain time period and a certain amount of prayer and Bible reading and work, or whatever it is before I come to Jesus, before he will accept me. That is the biggest amount of rubbish. Jesus accepts you exactly as you are. You can be completely broken. You can be without hope. Jesus has come for you. The holy God, the God who we read about in Genesis 1 and 2 and all the way through the scripture who is holy, who is unapproachable, who, who speaks and things happen. That this amazing God that is just so different to us. He's not just a bit better than us. He's not just a bit like, trained a bit harder. And a bit be- no, he's completely different. He's unapproachable. He welcomes us because of Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what nation. It doesn't matter anything. You don't need to sort it out. Come. Come directly. And so we're gonna, I'm going to stop talking because I think it would be important to come to Jesus as we are. And I, I don't know your story as I started. Maybe your story is messy for this reason. Maybe it's messy for that reason. Perhaps you're living right now with unrepentant sin in your life. Perhaps you're living with just... I don't know, that challenge. There can be all sorts of things. Life is real. And it's hard. And so what do we do in this moment? Come to Jesus. There's nothing more important than that. Don't wait until you sort yourself out. Come to Jesus. Because he will redeem you. He accepts you. He welcomes you. He loves you. So important. Can I ask us to stand, please? This is what it says in Isaiah 61. I'm just going to read this, um, and then we're going to, we're going to respond uh, by singing for a little bit, and then we're going to take, come to the table and take the Lord's Supper. And that's a great way again, to come to Jesus, as when we do that, we remember who, what he did. We remember his death as we eat the bread, his body as we eat the bread, his, his blood as we drink the wine. We remember, we also remember that one day he will come again. One day he will make all things right. And we do that as we come to the table. We look back, we look forward. So we're going to do that in a minute. We're going to come to Jesus. This is what it says. Uh, in Isaiah 61. I'm going to read it again because I think it's powerful. This is what it says. The day of the vengeance of God to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. A crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise 
instead of a spirit of despair. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. God brings beauty out of ashes. He is a redeeming God. Let's come to him now. We're just going to raise our voices and sing and worship and fix our eyes upon him.